Hi everybody, I'm Cindy Mooring, the Founder and Executive Chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real-world experience as a senior executive, so if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's actually been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. Let's get started. I have with me today Professor Jeff Moriarty, a professor in the philosophy department at Bentley University. He's also the executive director of the Hoffman Center for Business Ethics, and he's the immediate past chair of the Society for Business Ethics. In addition, Jeff is an associate editor of the Business Ethics Quarterly. Jeff works mainly in the field of business ethics. Uh, He also does research in political philosophy. And the intersection of these two fields has caused him to do a lot of research and to write about um, something I find quite interesting, the ethical aspects of compensation arrangements, including CEO compensation. And we're going to get into that a bit more in the podcast um, as, we, as we get rolling here. Um, so Jeff, welcome. We're really glad to have you be a part of this. Cindy, good to be here. Good to be with you too. So today we're going to continue our series uh, that we've been talking about for the future of business ethics and risk management and governance and what that looks like um, from a higher education perspective now as compared to what it used to look to look like in the past and then really spend a lot of time talking about where we think it needs to go into the future to best prepare students I'd say to deal with this um, evolving world of risk that we find ourselves in now. So let's let's jump into that. But Jeff, first, I really would like for you to just talk a little bit about Bentley, Bentley University, and for those who, who may not know, uh, the importance of Bentley and the center there to um, the ethics education field. So at Bentley University, we have something called the Hoffman Center for Business Ethics, and it was named after my predecessor, Uh, Mike Hoffman, who's unfortunately no longer with us, he died a couple of years ago. Um, We we think of ourselves as the very first center for the study of business ethics in the United States. We're not totally sure about that, but we were established back in 1976. And one of the things we've tried to do is always link up what we're doing in the academy with what's happening uh, on the ground in corporations. So we were the the, kind of the founding uh, institution of the ethics uh, Officer Association, which became the Ethics and Compliance Officer Association, which became, became the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. Right. Uh, and we still retain a connection with that organization today. So we really try to bridge theory and practice. Um, but we also we also do do some theory here as well. So let's talk for a minute uh, about where business ethics education has been in the past and uh, where we think it is now, and then we'll talk about where we see it going into the future. But there was an article written, an article written by Andy Stark in Harvard Business Review, where he, 25 years ago, criticized uh, business ethics education for being too theoretical, too general, and too philosophical. So let's Mm -hmm. start with what your views are on that criticism for where business ethics used to be. Yes, so there's a lot to say about that. So one of the things I would say is 
If that's true, and that's still an if at this point, it's true of a lot of business research. So if you were to look at um, a journal of management studies, the Academy of Management Review or Administrative Science Quarterly, um, some of the kind of premier journals uh, of uh, business scholarship, um, you, you would find a lot of stuff that is simply irrelevant to the day-to-day -day experiences of actual business people. So business people will not pick up uh, an, an issue of the Academy of Management Review or Administrative Science Quarterly uh, and really get anything out of it. And that's not just because it's full of the jargon that us academics love, but just simply not relevant to their, to their experience. Um, and to some extent that's fine because academics are interested in learning the truth about things, the truth about the world. And that's what's going on in those business journals. Um, so that's what's going on in business ethics journals. Uh, so, so we're trying to understand the moral contours of business activity, uh, both the organizations that are businesses that sell things, and also uh, the activity of business itself, which is an activity of exchange for valuable consideration. Um, and some of that's going to be relevant to people who are engaged in business, uh, and some of that's not going to be so immediately relevant. And, and again, I, I think that's all fine. Um, it is the case, however, that you know, academics do and ought to be producing at least some of their research that is of relevance to, to um, actual business people. And I think it, it's true that, that business ethics in the early days um, was not as relevant to business people as it is now. I think some of the criticisms that Andy's making in that article seem right, especially the focus on uh, intention being very important to business ethics. I think that's not, not so important. And I think it's also the case that, that we've more or less moved on from that from that claim. So you, you started to mention there a bit about uh, some of the advancements that you've seen in the field. Um, some that you thought were positive and some that you thought weren't positive. So let's spend a few minutes and just give me your views on where you think business ethics, um, risk management, governance, those topics in business schools have advanced to today. Right. So I think the biggest difference is that business schools are hiring people who um, are doing descriptive or behavioral ethics um, as opposed to normative ethics. So, so business ethics can be understood as the study of, you know, what one ought to do in, in the context of, of business, either in a business organization or in the activity of business. Um, and, and that's how I approach it as a philosopher, you know, what is morally the right thing to do? But other people, and, and this is a very important uh, issue as well, is, you know, what makes people do the wrong thing? You know, how do you structure an organization so that you get more um, right doing and less wrongdoing? Um, why is it the case that people, even people who are no kind of morally intrinsically better or worse than you or me, why is it the case that if you put them in a certain sort of situation, they end up doing something really bad? So the people working in, in Enron or WorldCom, were they sort of worse than us morally? I'm not so sure, but they were caught up in this culture, which really put on them a lot of pressure to do the wrong thing, and, and they did. So business schools have brought in uh, uh, more people who are thinking about why do people do the wrong thing, and how do we design uh, institutions of business or just kind of a, a business environment where people are going to do fewer wrong things. Uh, that's not a philosophical matter. Philosophers have little to say about that. Uh, that's a matter for social scientists you know, who are studying cause and effect. So there's a lot more of, of that in business schools than, than there used to be. And do you um, think that's a I mean, positive? Do you, do you, would you describe that as one of the positive changes? 
that is a positive change. Okay. Uh, I think it's a mistake for business schools to go all in on that to the exclusion of, in effect, old school moral philosophy. So, so, so the question of why do people do the wrong thing and how do we get them to not do the wrong thing presumes that we know what the wrong thing is. And the, the people who are going to shed light on that question uh, are, are philosophers. Th those are the people who are trained to ask those normative questions about what is the right thing or wrong thing in the first place. So we must absolutely have the people telling us how to kind of actualize or operationalize um, judgments about what is right or um, you know, the, the, this ideal governing structure for a firm or a business environment, but then you, you, you and that's going to be a social scientist uh, telling us that, but the, the philosopher is going to tell us, you know, what is the right thing to do in the first place? And so you don't want to exclude that and just sort of say, well, it's quite obvious what the right thing is to do. And sometimes it is, you know, it's accounting fraud is wrong. Right. And, and then the real interesting questions are why did it happen and how do we prevent it? But sometimes there are gray, gray issues that we generally don't, we generally don't know what the right answer is. And then we need moral reflection. And I think you need, you need somebody doesn't have to be a philosophy PhD, but you need someone who's, thinking theoretically who's sort of sensitive to these moral concerns to help students work through those those issues for themselves there are certainly some schools that stand out to me as um as exemplars schools that are really doing it right schools like wharton and georgetown uh university of virginia where you have people with different backgrounds interested in normative theory but also the empirical social science talking to each other and trying to figure out how to put it all together in, in a way that's really impactful for students. So let's talk a little bit about your research area in particular, which is um, the ethics behind compensation arrangements and particularly CEO compensation arrangements. So tell us a little bit about that particular area and some of your findings and your, your thinking about how that uh, compensation plays out from an ethical perspective. Absolutely. Compensation is such a difficult issue. Um, so the first thing that I try to do is say, well, there's a certain set of questions that we ask about compensation, and then there's a different sort of different set of questions that we ask about income. Um, and questions about compensation might belong to business, and questions about income might belong to political philosophy. So if you think, for example, a CEO gets paid too much money, I mean, some people say, well, this is, this is a wrong thing. They should get paid less money. Um, but another thing you might say is, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter how much the CEO gets paid. If you're worried that this person has too much money, then the, the right solution is to uh, increase marginal tax rates. Um, and if some people, if you're worried that they have too little money, you know, just don't worry about how much they get paid. Just make sure that there is a robust social safety net to support people who don't get paid enough, uh, or that there's a tax and transfer scheme in place where uh, people at the top are, are, are taxed more heavily to support uh, the people at the bottom. Um, so, so, but, but, so we can have a, a conversation about what the tax code should be. And, and some of my research speaks to that question. But I think we need to talk about compensation itself because people do think about their pay in moral terms. Yeah. They, they don't just say, well, I get paid too little. They say mm -hmm. things like, I get paid too little and that is wrong. This is unfair. <laughs> yes. And maybe they, they point out someone else in their firm who's doing work of equal quality or even lesser quality to themselves and say, well, that person gets paid more. And so this is a kind of unfairness. Uh -huh. um, so when we think of pay as a reward, that intuition, that idea of I need to get paid that's commensurate with the value of my work compared to others in my, in my firm, that, that becomes really important. 
Um, and, and we sometimes we compare ourselves to others in our firm, but maybe others higher up in the firm, maybe even the CEO, though those comparisons are harder to make. What, one thing that I think gets a lot of attention, um, maybe two things about CEO pay in particular that, get, that gets a lot of attention, I think rightly so, and this brings out other aspects of wages, is that ideally the CEO's pay should be a bargain between the board who's representing the firm and its shareholders and the CEO who might be just representing themselves. The idea is that the CEO can ask for what they want, maybe it's a large number, and the board should be saying, well, let's see how little we can pay you in, in, in such a way that still respects what you do and gets you to do what we want for the firm. Because you know, the board is representing us as, right. as uh, uh, shareholders of the firm uh -huh. and the firm itself. So some people worry that the relationship between the board and the CEO is too cozy and that the CEOs have a lot of power over who gets appointed to the board. And then when it comes time to pay the CEO, the board is, is too willing to give them uh, outsized compensation package. Uh -huh. um, that, that issue has been explored in a really uh, good book by Beb, Chuck and Freed back in 2004. Uh -huh. um, one of the things that I think is even may, maybe more timely when we're talking about CEO pay is this idea of uh, incentives. So everyone thinks that it, pay, of course, has an incentive um, aspect to it. Your pay and my pay being much less than a CEO pay, you know, it still gets us to show up um, and do our work, do things that we don't want to do, like grade things. Um, so, so our pay has this incentive effect, but the CEO, it's thought to be very important to design their compensation package so that it really incentivizes them very precisely to do things that are positive for the firm, uh, to not take excessive risks. And in the financial crisis about 10 years ago, one of the one of the causes of it, at least according to some smart observers, people like Ben Bernanke, uh, Tim Geithner, was that you know, CEOs and other executives in the financial industry were uh, their their compensation packages incentivized them to take huge risks. Um, knowing that if the risk panned out, then they would make lots of money. But if the risk didn't pan out, then it wouldn't be so bad for them. And, mm -hmm. and uh, these observers thought that that was one of the causes of the financial crisis. So, so when we think about pay, we can think about a lot of facets of pay. Is it's, mm -hmm. it's an agreement, but is the agreement fair, or is there some self-dealing? Is it is it fair when we compare people at different levels? And, and also, we need to think about this incentive effect. Um, our CEOs being incentivized to take uh, gambles that may damage the entire economy. Um, and depending on how you think about pay, you may come up with very different ideas of how people should be paid. Um, so I feel like we're just now starting to think about pay itself. Um, as a society, I think, I wish more people would think about pay. Um, it can be awkward to talk about pay. And I sort of, sometimes I wonder that this is a reason there's not a ton of research on it, but um, but I think it's just really important for, for all kinds of reasons. So with the advancements that you think that we've made in the field of business ethics and risk management, kind of governance, kind of education at the, uh, at the college level and at the university level, what do you think needs to be the next chapter? And how, how do you think that ought to play out over the next 20 to 25 years? Do you have like three words that you think or three phrases that uh, that that you would rely on to define the path forward? So I'll try. Um, it's going to be complicated, but if we focus on technology, it's one word. Work, that's the second. Uh, and then politics, 
there's your third. I'll say a little bit about each of them. Yeah, so please. start with technology. So it's silly to say technology is always advancing, but I'll say it anyway. Technology is always advancing. Corporations have more and more tools at their disposal um, to learn more and more information about consumers, about employees, and there's going to be real ethical questions about uh, which technologies uh, should they help themselves to and which technologies should they not help themselves to. Corporations, if they want, could find out a lot of information about you and me uh, as consumers or you and me as employees, but, but maybe they shouldn't help themselves right. with all that information. Um, so one of, the, one of the things I'm thinking about these days is uh, personalized pricing. So companies will deny it, but there is evidence that, well, they're not, they won't deny this. Companies are tracking us on the internet. Mm -hmm. that's, that's clear to everyone. But what they will deny is that they use that information to try to target the price of things we look at to how much we think we'll pay for it. So if they think you will only pay $10 for something, they might offer it uh, for you uh, uh, for $10. But if they think I'll pay 12 they might offer it for me for 12. Mm. How do they figure that out? Well, they're using some sophisticated technologies that they prefer not to talk about, but it's an interesting ethical question about whether they should be using those technologies. I'll talk about work as a second, as a second thing. So work is changing. Um, it, you know, yeah. it used to be the case that you might work for one employer for 40 years, 30 years, um, and then maybe it was two employers, and then maybe it was a bunch, and, and now maybe it's not an employer at all. Maybe it's a project. Mm -hmm. And maybe you rotate off a project every six months or eight months. So what we owe to people with whom we are in these deep and lasting relationships is different. And I think everyone would say it's different than what we owe to people who we engage in these more transitory relationships. So what I owe to somebody who sells me something is going to be different. Uh, maybe it's a kind of respect than what I owe to somebody um, in my, in my family or um, a, a person I've known for 30 years. Uh, so that's, that might be more of a, this idea of a care ethic. So, so right. people are changing how they relate to employers and employees, and this is gonna be reflected in how, what the standards for ethical treatment of people are. Uh, the final thing I'll say is politics. So businesses are large and some of them, well, some businesses are very large and very powerful. And the power just comes along with being large. You know, what they say carries tremendous weight. And what they do, just the mere exercise of their property rights can right. have enormous influence. So if Walmart um, doesn't like what's happening in, in Bentonville and says, boy, you know, I'm not sure that Bentonville is the right fit for us anymore. That's going to cause alarm. It's hard to imagine, given that Walmart's history with Bentonville, but a large corporation setting up in, in a small town, uh -huh. if the large corporation decides that it doesn't like what the small town is doing, it doesn't have to threaten anything. It just has to just sort of mention on Twitter, we don't like this very much. You better believe the small town is going to adjust and, and, and come up with policies and rules and regulations that better fit that, that um, corporation's uh, needs and wants. And maybe it's in ways that we think are good, um, and maybe it's in ways that we think are bad. Yeah. So just to be clear, Walmart's made no no announcements or Twitters or, or suggestions that it's moving out of Bentonville, but it was a, a good example given that I am here right. in uh, Bentonville and from Walmart. Uh, but you're right. And I think what you're getting to is the larger question of um, 
the power that corporations do have and whether they use it for good or potentially could use that power for reasons that some may, may describe as not good. Um, and and there's, media, there's lots of disagreement. And there's lots of disagreement, but with social media at everyone's fingertips there, that's something that in terms of business ethics education, we have to talk about with the students so that they understand as future business leaders that that power that and influence that being associated with particularly large corporations can wield. So yeah, I would agree. Mm -hmm. Those are good. All right. So it's been great to have you here today. And I've got some fun questions that I want to wrap up on and ask you about a few things that maybe you've been watching or reading or listening to as of late that maybe had an ethical dilemma uh, included within it. So what have you been reading in the last few months um, that you've enjoyed that has had an ethical dilemma? Um, so what I read, unfortunately, is, is I mean, I've read some journal articles uh, as editor of the journal that you mentioned, Business Ethics Quarterly, uh, and, and there are ethical dilemmas kind of by design in them, not, not sort of encased in a story which is compelling, like you might find in a novel, um, but there's some really good work coming out around uh, risk and employment in Business Ethics Quarterly, uh, which I've been fascinated to read. So, so workplace safety is, is something that um, business ethicists have talked about for a long time, but it's almost always in the context of blue collar jobs, factory uh -huh. work, uh -huh. uh, commercial fishermen, loggers. Um, and we, we think about, you know, what, what are the trade-offs between safety and pay at work? Right, and, yeah. you know, are there some risks that we shouldn't allow people to take? But now with COVID, th those are, those are um, trade-offs for you and me, people who are talking to students. Those are trade-offs for our students. Uh, and so now we're, we're taking the, well, it used to be the commercial fishermen, uh, you know, loggers, they're, they're, they have dangerous workplaces, but now we're beginning to, to bring that into the white collar world. And I think that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah um, right. What about anything? That's, that's not a novel, but. No, that's okay. That's, it's good to have variety. Are you watching anything fun that has an ethical dilemma? So, you know, my, my wife and I, if we kind of, Bin shows as I guess everyone does these days. So sure. one show we watched was a BBC production called Versailles, which is oh. about Louis, um, I think the 14th. And so there's of course a lots of sort of horrible wrongdoing uh, that's happening in, in the palace. Um, but, but a lot of, um, and, and another thing we're, 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 do, we're doing is Ozarks and I'll kind of pull these together. So many of these issues involve, you know, Here's something that involves the greater good, and then uh, on the other hand, there's questions about personal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. uh, so, to, to what extent is it incumbent upon the individual to sacrifice their own welfare to bring about a greater good for someone else? And, and this pops up in both of these shows, both Versailles and, and the Ozarks. So, um, it, it pops up in business too. And as a business person, you can do a lot of good for a lot of people, but it's at some point you're allowed to uh, promote your own interests, promote the interests of your firm. And there's always a balancing act in trying to figure out, uh, you know, at what point is it, is it, is it time for yourself? And at what point is it time, time for other people? You can't, there are people who devote themselves entirely to, to other people. Um, people in religious orders say, um, and there are people who devote themselves entirely to themselves. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's maybe not so um, 
uh, praiseworthy, but most of us think that you know there are times when we need to sacrifice a bit for others' welfare, and there are times when we can prioritize uh, the welfare of ourselves and uh, our families over other people, including strangers, even if we might do some good for them. But trying to figure out where the the balance lies in both Versailles and the Ozarks, these questions are answered in different ways, but it kind of brings this idea of, of uh, personal prerogative versus social welfare to, to the fore in ways that are pretty tense. Yeah, definitely. Ozark is a good one. That's uh, uh, familiar territory for those of us who live here in the Midwest. That's a fun show. What about podcasts? Mm -hmm. Are you a podcaster? Do you listen to anything fun? I'm very behind the times. I'm just now watching uh, or listening to the podcast of, um, it's called Fake Doctors, Real Friends. It's about oh. the people who made Scrubs, which seems to me a show which was just recently off the air, but apparently it started 20 years ago. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of behind the times when it, when it comes to that. But it's a story about the making of the show. Um, and it's mostly just, it's. I'm not sure how far I'm going to get through it. I mean, they're doing like one podcast per episode uh, and there right. are hundreds of episodes. Yeah. So okay. I'm not sure how interesting it's going to be, but so far it's been quite interesting. It's just a story of people making a show and it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of see you know, what's happening in their lives and you know, how this translates in, into the show and trying to make the show a comedy, but also somewhat real. So That's there's some, some interest, you know, in medicine, of course, there's all kinds of uh, ethical dilemmas that, that arise. Right. Uh, you know, this one of medical ethics tells us all about them, but yeah, um, yeah. they pop up in the show too. Yeah. How fun. Well, Jeff, it's been great to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Cindy. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us, and you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.